At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, it's Monique. Welcome back to the podcast. Or welcome if this is your first time listening. This is the Brown Vegan Podcast, episode 194. And with this show, I love to present veganism from a practical perspective to help everyday people go vegan in a way that feels good to them. I also love to share overall wellness topics like money, mental health, and vegan entrepreneurship because this is so much more than food. It truly is a lifestyle. Be sure to come hang out with me on Instagram and on YouTube. I'm Brown Vegan on both of those platforms. So yes, I hope you're having an amazing day. I am back with another conversation for you. In this conversation, I'm chatting with Amy Katz, who is a certified vegan nutrition health coach who is passionate about creating vegan Mediterranean diet recipes. So in this conversation, I feel like we covered a lot and I love that we did that. Not only did we talk about how Amy was able to create a life that she loves out of her side hustle, which was blogging and sponsorships and advertising on her website. But she also shares tips on how she started her vegan journey, how she transitioned from a corporate job to a full-time content creator, how she uses blogging in her newsletter to generate most of her income, how to structure your blog posts so that you can actually stand out from the crowd. And of course, why blogging is still relevant, because sometimes people don't think it is because social media is so fast and it's so many people on it that sometimes it feels like blogging is an afterthought. So we chat about that as well. But I feel like the biggest theme from this conversation is why it's never too late to start on something that you love. Not only was Amy an older woman when she decided to become a vegan, but also the same goes for her deciding to chase her dreams, build her business and her brand. So I just really enjoyed our conversation. She dropped a lot of gems. Make sure you go check out Amy's blog, which is Veggies Save the Day. And that's also her Instagram handle where she shares Mediterranean diet recipes. So yes, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation. Well, it was a long journey for me to become vegan, Monique. It started when I was about 16 years old, and I really just decided that I didn't want to eat red meat anymore. And I think part of it had to do with the way that it looked and smelled, that it just turned me off. And I think it's kind of common among girls, like preteen or teen years. And fortunately, my family was very supportive. And they were okay with me, you know, not eating that. But they were concerned when I said that I thought maybe I wanted to become vegetarian. And so we kind of compromised because at that time, I didn't know how to cook for myself. Mm -hmm. So we just, you know, continued with that I would still eat like 
poultry and fish, but I just wouldn't eat like beef or pork. And so I continued that way for quite a while. I did experiment with more vegetarian foods when I was in college. And then when I was cooking for myself in my 20s, but it really wasn't until I was about 40 that I decided, okay, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and become vegetarian. And then about three months later, I decided that I I would go ahead and become vegan. And, you know, I, I feel like I was kind of destined to become vegan because even as a kid, I never really liked meat that much, but it was just kind of like, well, that's what you're supposed to eat. You know, that's what my parents are serving me. So, you know, I did for, for a long time, but when I got older, I started reading a lot more and watching documentaries and hearing about like the environmental impacts of the meat industry and about animal welfare. And so it all just finally clicked and I realized, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I have nothing to lose. I only have everything to gain. And I I, yeah, and it was really the best decision for me. So what would those early steps look like for you? So you decided to do it yeah. after being, you know, eating a standard American diet for four year, 40 years. It's kind of like, okay, you have to unlearn everything you've ever known about food. <laughs> yeah. So what are the, yeah, what are those early steps look like for you? Yeah, I would say for me, well, I've always enjoyed cooking. Even when I was younger, like I would help my mom in the kitchen and she was always passionate about cooking. Like she would collect recipes from the newspaper and magazines. And I remember watching like some old cooking shows that were on public television, you know, before there was was the Food Network. And we always enjoyed trying different cuisines. And my parents were from New York City. And then they moved to California, where I was born close to Los Angeles. So we were fortunate in that they were already used to eating a lot of international foods. And they exposed us as kids to that as well. And, you know, we would go out to different restaurants and try different cuisines. And so I think we were always kind of adventurous eaters in that respect. And so that carried over into the kitchen. So I always loved, you know, getting cookbooks and trying new recipes. And I also always enjoyed a lot of different vegetables and fruits. So that was kind of a natural progression for me with cooking because I really didn't enjoy cooking as much with like, say, chicken or fish, because, you know, I just felt like it was so much harder with like the worrying about cross contamination, and just the cleanliness of it. So I had kind of always gravitated towards cooking meals that were vegetarian, but then I would still eat those animal products when I went out to restaurants. So when I was going to transition, At first, I told myself, okay, well, I'll still eat fish, but I'm only going to eat that out in restaurants. And then at home, I'll cook vegetarian. So that was pretty easy to do. And then, you know, for it had been a while since I'd had any fish. And then 
once I tried it again in a restaurant, I think it was just too much for my body. And I actually like felt really sick afterwards. So, Mm. so I decided, okay, that's it. We're just gonna, you know, cut that out. So I think because I did it so gradually, that I got used to not only cooking that way in the kitchen, but also my body got used to it gradually. Yeah, I think that's an important step. That's an important tip for people who are just getting started. They're like, they feel like it has to be all or nothing in the beginning. Yeah, And I feel like the real change happens when you get yourself comfortable and just kind of build on that. So did you have any other tips that you want to share for people who are just getting started? Because that is amazing. That's an amazing one. That's a really good one. I think that another thing that kind of got me going in the kitchen, like trying new things, is that I signed up for a CSA box. So if someone doesn't know what that is, it's community-supported agriculture. So different farms in your area may offer this. And then there's also, you know, lot of different boxes these days, like I order from Imperfect Foods a lot. So it's a great way to try different fruits and vegetables that you're not accustomed to, or even just going to different ethnic stores. Like where I live, there's a lot of Asian markets and Persian markets and even Latino foods markets. And they all have an amazing array of different produce that we may not be used to seeing at our local supermarket. So it's really fun to go in there and just, you know, try different foods and and also try different like spices and seasonings, because that's a great way to incorporate new foods into your diet as well. Yeah, you definitely have to be open-minded. That's the only way, in my opinion, that this will work. You can't be someone that doesn't like anything and not willing to try anything because it's just going to be harder for you. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And also like not only just trying it, but being open to, you know, trying another version of it if it doesn't work the first time. Like if you try a brand or you try an ingredient that you don't necessarily like, just giving your palate the grace <laughs> to, oh, yeah. to accept the change too. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. It's in, since you mentioned that about your palate, I found that my palate really expanded once I started eating all of these vegan foods. Cause even though I, you know, I was a good eater, I tried all different things, but I think that when we become, become vegan, our palate becomes even more sensitive and we can really experience all these amazing flavors. Yeah. It's funny because I know you didn't like avocado before. Oh, yeah. And now yeah. you, <laughs> you'll yeah. take pictures. Now you take pictures with avocado like it's your favorite. <laughs> it is. I know. I know. It's so funny. It's really funny how we can adapt to that. And I think that's another good point is that, you know, you can try these different foods at any age, it's never too late. You know, even if you were a picky eater as a kid, and you, you know, ate according to the standard American diet, and you're used to like just burgers and fries, you can really develop a taste for all of these different foods. Absolutely. I love that. So one of the main reasons I wanted you on here, Amy, is to talk about blogging and business, the business of blogging and email list and growing traffic and all of the behind the scenes that I love to talk about. I love to combine the vegan life and the business life because I feel like there's a lot of us out here who are so passionate about 
vegan life. And in my opinion, if you are passionate and you're spending a lot of time on this, you need to be able to figure out a way to monetize it. So it makes the most sense and you can avoid burnout because we know that it's a lot of work. So I know that you went from having a corporate job and then leaving your corporate job to pursue blogging full time. So tell us about that story. How far in your vegan journey were you when you decided that, okay, I can, I think I can make some money from this. I think I can make a, a living from this. Yeah. I had been vegan for probably about, I think four years. And I started because I was sharing the recipes that I made on Instagram. And I met a lot of other vegans over there because we would post our pictures of our food. And we even did like these fun things together where we would choose a different vegan cookbook each month. And then we would cook from it and share our recipes. So it was a really fun way to you know, get to know other people in the vegan community. And also I was kind of getting into Instagram because I hadn't really been on there before. So once I started posting more regularly, a lot of friends said to me, hey, why don't you start a blog, you know, since you love to cook so much? And I think a blog is a great way to share what you're doing with even more people because, you know, not everyone is on Instagram, but a blog is more accessible to people of all different ages because it's just easy to go online and find the recipes there. And so, I decided to just try it out as a hobby. And I really didn't know what I was doing. I just thought, well, okay, I'll just try it and see what happens. So I started posting some recipes and I got some positive feedback and I really enjoyed it. So then I started looking around at other people who had blogs and I realized, oh, wow, they're making money from doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, if they can do it, why can't I? So I just started getting to know more blogs and learning from them. And I think that that community really helped me a lot and made me realize like if I did stick with it and I really pursued it, that I could make it into a career. So I, you know, kept my full-time job for a few more years until I felt like, okay, I really, you know, want to give it a go and try this blogging thing full time. And yeah, and then I quit and it's the rest is history. I've just kept kept on doing it and learning new ways to monetize. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, that is so dope. I love to hear this. So when you were working full time, you have to tell us because I know that's a stressor for a lot of people. They're like, okay, I want to start my brand. I want to blog. I want to be on Instagram. I want to be on YouTube. But I feel like I don't have enough time because I have this full-time job. I have this family. So what are some of the things you did in those early days to ensure that not only were you pursuing your passion, but you were also keeping everything else that you had going on already (laughs) flowing. So what did that look like? Yeah, it was really tough. I'll tell you, it's not easy to blog and have a full-time job, but it is possible. I think the most important thing was I set a realistic schedule for myself. So even if I saw other blogging bloggers posting more often on their websites, I tried not to put so much pressure on myself. So I did start with a schedule of like two recipes a week. But if I couldn't do that one, you know, particular weeks, I was busier with other things, 
then that was okay. I let, allowed myself that flexibility. So I just did as much as I could, but I did work usually, you know, on the evenings and on weekends. And sometimes I'd even use my lunch break to do little things. So, you know, I think because too, it was still, you know, so much fun in those days. I mean, not that it's not fun now, you know, but it was so exciting because I was just learning all of these new things. So I was really motivated in my free time to actually work on my blog Mm -hmm. because, you know, it was, it was just so much fun. Yeah, I can see that. It's still, I know what you mean when you say that it's still fun, but it's just a little different now because it has to be more strategic. It's like so much strategy now. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're like, your livelihood depends on it. So it's a little different. Right, right. (laughs) You know, and at the beginning too, like I said earlier, I didn't really know what I was doing because, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. So I just was trying different things. And yeah, so everything was just fresh and exciting. And, you know, I just did what I could. And, you know, it was great having a lot of feedback from friends and family who saw what I was doing. And so that kept me going as well. Yeah. Cause it's like, you basically, it sounds like you went from, you know, in 2015, you started everything and then you were able to leave your corporate job in 2017. What did you do to prepare yourself financially from that for that? Cause a lot of times I know it can be like, uh, you know, we want to be able to do this as fun as you want to be also pay your bills. So exactly. what did you do? Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. So what I did is I let left myself a lot of time between when I decided to leave and when I actually left. So what I did was I started saving as much money as I could. And I also had a lot of vacation time that I was able to save up and not use and so that I could get paid out for that by the time I left. So I just took, you know, as little time off as possible and, you know, saved as much money as I could. But then I also had in the back of my mind that I could always either do like odd jobs on the side, or I could always get a part-time job if I needed to once I left my full-time job. So I think just having that backup plan in my mind really helped mentally prepare for it. So, you know, once I finally did give my notice, I stayed there for about three months to give them a long transition. And, you know, that helped me too, because while I was training the new person to take my job, I actually had quite a bit of free time while I was still there just to be on hand for her. And so I was able to actually do some work while I was at my full-time job. Nice. I love to see it. I love to see it. I know that's right. Yeah. (laughs) That is so good. So then when you when you left in 2017, first I want to make a good point. I want to make a point about that as far as the fact that you went into this knowing that there's always a chance that you can go back to something else. And I feel like sometimes people feel like if they quit their jobs, that's it. That's going to be the end. But I love how you went into it and you were like, well, I can always get another job. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, Because it's true. It's very true that you can. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if you do something different, I mean, you can always get a part-time job, you know, maybe in retail or or an online job. You know, these days you can work as a virtual assistant for other bloggers, helping them. So, yeah, I did a little bit of that on the side at first. 
And, you know, and that's good too, because you kind of hone some of your skills that you need to use yourself as well. So it's, you don't feel like you're, you know, wasting your time doing something that's completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So, of course, you started everything back in 2015. And I feel like back then things were so different. People definitely were still blogging at that time. But social media, I feel like, is when it really became more explosive around that time. Yeah. So here's the thing. A lot of people don't feel like blogging is necessarily relevant in 2022. And I'm like the opposite. I think it's actually even more relevant than it's ever been. And the reason why is because social media moves so fast. Everybody, I feel like they're doing the same thing. They're trying to <laughs> trying to do whatever they can to beat the algorithm. They're trying to do whatever they can to be seen because it's so competitive. And I feel like having a blog and a newsletter is a very intimate way to connect with your audience. So what are your views about this? Do you feel like blogging is just as relevant as it ever, has ever been? Or do you feel like you have to spread your time on the other platforms as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think that blogging is is very relevant. And I feel like a lot of people spend more time working on their social media. But like you said, with those algorithms, things can change overnight. And it's really hard to make a full-time income if your main platforms are on social media, which you don't have control over. But the nice thing about your blog and about email is you do have more control. So, you know, it doesn't matter like what email platform you're using, you you know, what service provider you're using, you can always take your list and move it elsewhere if you need to. Or, you know, with your blog, when things change, you can update those blog posts and make them rank again in Google. So it's not something that's just like a one-time thing. And like, if you post a reel on Instagram and people see it for, you know, maximum 48 hours and that's it. But Mm -hmm. with a blog, you know, you can keep making your blog posts better and better and more people are going to visit them over and over again. Yes. I really want to talk to you about SEO and how you're optimizing your older posts. I want to talk about email marketing. I want to talk about ad agencies. I just I, I just want to talk about this whole process of making a living from blogging. Because the, the truth is, I feel like you are definitely making a large chunk of change from bl- your money from blogging, but it really is a combination of all of these things together, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. I I really have been diving deep into SEO the last few years because, you know, at first I didn't even know what SEO was. And, you know, if anyone doesn't know, it's search engine optimization. So basically it's like when you go and you're searching for something on Google, Google returned these results that are relevant to the, the question that you're find looking for an answer. And so say you typed in, you know, potato salad, then Google's going to know, okay, I'm going to show, I'm going to show you results that are for potato salad recipes. Mm -hmm. And so you can scroll through there and you're going to see at the top of the results are the ones that that have the best information. You know, maybe they have the most reviews, like positive reviews, the ones that people have visited the most. And so, you know, and then downwards, the more you scroll, you're going to see ones that maybe haven't been on there as long or don't answer all the questions that people have about making potato salad. So I think 
you know, going in with a strategy of how you can create blog posts and also update them so that you can meet your users search intent is very important. So what I've been doing recently is I've been reviewing like my older blog posts. And I like to go and look at them in Google Search Console. And Google Search Console is a free service from Google. And if you have a website, you can connect it to Google Search Console, and it will show all of your results over time. So you can see like when, you know, whether you want to look for the last three months or the last year, you can look at a particular blog post and see how it's doing over time. And you can also see how people are getting to that post from their searches. So say they're searching for vegan potato salad, and you can see how many people saw your blog post, how many people clicked on it, and you can see what other search queries produce that same result for your vegan potato salad, like maybe, you know, how to make potato salad without mayonnaise, or how to make potato salad dairy-free. So you can see like what people are typing into Google and land on your website. So it's very useful to see like what if they're ending up there from something that has nothing to do with your blog post. You know, that make maybe you'll think like, oh, okay, I need to update my blog post and maybe include some more information about what it is they're looking for. Or maybe I'm not making my keyword obvious enough so that Google doesn't understand that my recipe is vegan potato salad. Maybe they think it's something else. Mm. So yeah, so there's just, you know, and that's just a free resource that everyone can use. And then another thing I do is I use a paid tool called Key Search. And key search, you can go in and search for particular keywords and you can see like how many people search for those keywords monthly and how hard is the competition. So ideally, you'd want to find keywords that you can write a recipe for where the competition is low, but the search volume is really high. So it's kind of that sweet spot of doing this research, even before you come up with the recipe and figuring out, you know, how you're going to get people to find the recipe once you actually create it and post it. Mm. So say that part again, you're saying the low, you want to find the ones that aren't as competitive so that you'll be able to get all of the traffic when somebody is looking for it. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So if you think about like, see, there's, you know, there's thousands and thousands of blogs out there that maybe have similar recipes, but if you can find some variation on the recipe that is still going to be really popular, but not as many people have already written blog posts about it, then that's going to be helpful for you. Because then when people search for that, they're going to see your result at the top, because there won't be all of these other results. So you know, maybe like your vegan potato salad has like pickles in it. So maybe you're going to do like a vegan potato salad with pickles, then people that are searching for that, if there are aren't that many results, then you're more likely to be at the top. And it's a popular, like maybe, you know, 
this kind of potato salad is really popular, then you're also going to get a ton of people coming to see your recipe. Mm. So yeah, so you get that advantage where it has the high volume, but low competition. Yeah. So I love how you're telling me ways to optimize my old posts because that's something that I've been really working on this year. But we have to talk about people who are brand new to blogging. So yeah. kind of like when you were when you were talking about when you worked full time and you were running your business, you felt like there was probably like, oh, my gosh, like most people were wondering how can they find more time for it? You have to tell us, like, what are the advantages of having a blog? over having social media. We kind of, we went into it a little bit about how we kind of, you own that space. You don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about the algorithm changes as much. You know, you can do the keyword research and you can get your blog going, but how, I need you to kind of like, give me some tips for people who are thinking about maybe this is something they can do, but they're a little nervous about dedicating the time to it, especially because they're going to be launching a blog, most people without any viewers they're not going to have that google traffic traffic initially you know that takes time for the spiders to crawl your website all of that process so what are some ways that you think that you can motivate (laughs) i'm just putting you on the spot with this because it's true a lot of people are like oh that sounds great but i already have social media so why do i care about this exactly Well, I would say one of the best ways to get eyes on your recipes or on your blog posts is through email marketing. And one of the best ways to start your email list is by offering people something of value in exchange for their email address. So if I visit your website, I know you have a starter guide for going vegan. Right. Oh, yeah. So if if someone sees that, then they're going to think, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I need. So I'm going to sign up for the this list and I'm going to because I want this free guide. So once they sign up for the free list, then they're on your email list and you can send them maybe like a welcome sequence where you're introducing them to all the things they know need to know about going vegan and you can refer back to your guide and, you know, maybe give them some more pointers that relate to that. And so it's a way of them getting to know you and, you know, trusting you and, they, they've realized like, okay, wow, she's got great resources. Yeah, I want to stay on this list and I want to keep getting her emails. So you're like developing this relationship with your subscribers and then you can put in links to your blog posts so that they go and visit your blog. So that is like direct traffic that is one of the best ways to get people over to your blog. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think like, You can have different ways that people can opt into your website. You know, like I know you always share a link and you tell people where to go so they can sign up. So that is super important. And people can do that like you do that on your podcast and people can do that on YouTube or social media. And, you know, always trying to get people on your email list and that way they're ending up back on your blog. Yeah, definitely. I love that tip. We got to talk about how to structure a blog post, especially for people who don't really feel like they are most excited about writing. What are some tips that you have for them who, you know, getting their blog posts going? And also after that, I want to talk about the process of like batching your content. So take it away. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, as far as the blog post content, if you do use a tool like KeySearch, not only can you look up the keywords that you should be using your blog post, but you can also see some suggested content that should go into your posts. And this is a really great way to get started because you can see like based on what other recipes are already doing well in Google, you can see like what important factors are included in those blog posts and that you should include in your blog post as well. So maybe it'll be certain ingredients, maybe it'll be like a cooking method, maybe just some background information on the type of food or cuisine. So all this information, you can get these tips for what should be included within your blog post. And then you can structure it kind of in a logical manner where you're first giving like an introduction, like a short introduction about the recipe. You know, we don't need to give like our life story and and (laughs) about how like our grandmother used to make this and what she did and all of that. You can just, you know, you can, you know, put in little bits of your personality here and there, but we want to keep it concise so that people are finding just the information that they actually need and can use. So then you can talk about what ingredients are necessary for this recipe and maybe any variations or substitutions. And then you can talk about the cooking method, but just, you know, keep it brief because at the bottom of your post, you're going to use a recipe card and the recipe card is going to be something that people can just look at that recipe card and they'll have all the information that they need to make the recipe and they Mm -hmm. can either view it on their computer or their phone or they can print it out but all of the recipe that or all of the information that is mandatory for that recipe will be all in one place so they don't have to keep scrolling up and down to your post so your post kind of supports what's in the recipe card so you know like I said about you know, ingredient substitutions, or maybe about where to find particular ingredients, whether they need to go to a specialty store or order it online, you know, all that information, you can talk about it and show some photos with the ingredients and like process shots of you making the recipe, just everything that will make it like easier for them. So that if they do have questions, they can refer to your post and figure it out. And at that, that leads to another thing that you can put in your post. And that would be like frequently asked questions. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you use something like a keyword research tool, like key search, I mentioned, they will actually have some questions listed in there that you might want to answer if it's relevant to your recipe, or you can actually go to Google itself. And like, say you're making that vegan potato salad. If you type in vegan potato salad, about halfway down the search results, you'll see a thing like people also ask. And so if you look at the people also ask, it will be a list of questions that people who are looking to make vegan potato salad may have asked before. So maybe they're asking like, is mayonnaise vegan? So you maybe you want to put that in your post and talk about like what what is mayonnaise and why it's, why it's not vegan and how you can find a vegan mayonnaise instead. 
So, or maybe people have a question about how long they need to cook the potatoes for. So, you know, you can answer all those questions and it's really great because Google is telling you exactly what these questions are. Mm. And that tells you, okay, I want to cover that information in my blog post. So, yeah. So, So, and then you can also talk about like how you can serve this potato salad, like maybe what other dishes go with potato salad. Or if they're looking for more easy salad recipes, maybe you want to link to a recipe you have for vegan coleslaw or vegan macaroni salad so that everything is kind of related and links back to the different to different recipes that they may yeah. want to look at after they look at the potato salad recipe. Mm-hmm. All of this is kind of like the long game. You know, yeah. people shouldn't go into it expecting overnight results because that won't happen. But I think this is definitely important information as far as really cultivating an audience that wants to support you financially and by looking at your content. So I think that it's something, it's definitely worth the time, in my opinion. Just like yes. all of my years of doing this stuff, I feel like I this year, after so long, I'm finally coming back to the basics and it feels really good because I know that this will work for my yeah. brand five years from now. Unlike posting something on social media, like you said, 48 hours and that's pretty much it. Right. So exactly. I love, I love that. One thing I want to also touch on is the fact that no matter where you are in your life, you can have those moments where you don't feel like maybe you 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 maybe you feel like you're too old to do something. And I feel like even back when you talked about how you started your vegan journey at 40 and also your blogging journey as an older woman as well. Yes. I think that that's really important too, is just the people to understand that no matter where they are in their lives, it's okay to start and you yes. should start. Absolutely. Yeah. It's never too late to start. And what's great about the blogging community is that there are people of all different ages and all different backgrounds. And that's what makes it so exciting to work with other people and collaborate. And Mm -hmm. I feel like you know, especially in the vegan community, you know, there, there are lots and lots of vegan bloggers and, but we don't have to think about each other as competition. You know, I like to think about it is that we're all in this together. And, you know, I think we all started this because we love being vegan and we want to share our experiences with others. So yeah, so why not, you know, support each other instead of competing. And, you know, like they say, a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, I feel like there, we all do things differently. Like just because, you know, if you're sharing vegan recipes your recipe for something is going to be completely different than my recipe for like the same thing, even if it's that vegan potato salad. You know, your recipe maybe is based on how you grew up eating potato salad, like what your mom made. And mine is going to be based on what my mom made or, you know, something maybe I tried in a restaurant, you know. So I think that we can all succeed in the same space. And I think just having people that support you and that you can collaborate with and learn from each other. I think that it's so important and it makes it just so much more enjoyable. You know, and I I just love it that we have this great community. And, you know, like I said, I love talking to people that are just starting off blogging or even or if they've been doing it for a long time and all different ages and we all learn from each other. 
Yeah, ain't that the truth? So much <laughs> to learn, so much to do, so so many ways to grow. Wait, are you still with? I meant to ask you this before. Are you still with Ad Thrive? Yes, yes, I How, am. Okay, first of all, for people who don't know, talk about what that is, and because I know you need a lot of page views yeah, to get there. You do. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, if you want to have ads on your website, no matter what kind of website it is, there's a few major ad agencies that most people are with, and the two big ones are MediaVine and Ad Thrive. And I was with Mediavine first, and they're they're both great companies. Yeah, and then I switched a couple of years ago to AdThrive. And both of them support publishers that are with them by placing ads on their sites. And so you learn you earn commission when people view the ads just by going to your website and seeing your posts. So, you know, there's different qualifications. So I believe for Mediavine, you have to have 50,000 sessions a month. And for AdThrive, you have to have 100,000 page views a month. Yeah, so it is a lot. You know, it does take most people, you know, it's not unusual for it to take years to get there. But let's let's be clear, it it has taken you years to get there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it didn't, you know, it wasn't an overnight thing. And even like when I first left my job, I still was not with one of these ad agencies. So it does take a long time. But it's one of those things that, you know, it's like you said, it's a long game. And, you know, you have to be consistent, and just always willing to work on your website. And over time, you know, it's, if you keep publishing, then you you know, I think that the most people can get there. But you know, it is just a time thing. So but it is nice, because it's a great source of passive income, meaning that, you know, you can have a blog post that you published five years ago. And even if for whatever reason, you never touch that blog post again, you're still going to be earning income from it. So it's, it's a lot different than if you worked with a would say a brand and you developed recipes for them and shared them on social media, you know, that's usually a one-time payment. This is something that's evergreen, that's forever. It's going to keep going. So as long as your blog post is there, you're going to keep earning income from it. Definitely. And that is my goal. So yes, I agree with that. So let's talk about the different streams of income for yourself. We know that AdThrive, is that like a big chunk of your income right now? Yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say that's one of the larger sources of income. Okay. And then I know you have some eBooks. Yeah. So I do have some eBooks and that is a smaller portion of income, but you know, it brings in some income every month, every month, which is nice. And it's income you control. That's what I love about it. I love about having your own products and services because you have more control over that opposed to you know, relying on the ads or relying on sponsorships. Do you do sponsorships often? With- Not very often. I did. Because you don't have to now. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I did <laughs> when I started off, but it was very stressful for me. You know, first of all, you have to find those sponsorships. And then there's always a lot of requirements that you have to meet because they want certain content shared either on your blog or on social media. So it's, it's you know, less freedom than if you're just posting whatever recipe you want and however you want it. So, yeah. but you know, it is, a, it can't be very lucrative. I know some people 
earn money also for taking photographs for brands. So even if it's not something they're sharing on their own site or on social media, they're providing photographs or videos for the brand to use on their own platforms. So, you know, there's different ways that you can work with brands. So, but yeah, right now I'm not doing very much of that. And then another source of income that I do enjoy is affiliate marketing. Mm -hmm. So this is where I know you do some affiliate marketing too. So you can partner with different brands or services. And if you provide sales for them, then you get a percentage of that sale. So for me, that with the what that looks like is I do have some links on my website. Most of them are Amazon links, which don't earn a ton of money, but it's kind of that like, you know, you put the link in there once and you're done. So it's just kind of like a little bit of income each month where you're not actually doing any work for it. But then you can also partner with other brands to share maybe their information in your emails or on social media. And it can be all different, different kinds of brands or companies. Like for myself personally, I tend to attract a lot of people that are looking for vegan recipes for health reasons. And so I've partnered like with some doctors and other health professionals to share about, you know, different things they have, like different documentaries or membership services they have. And then if, if someone from my email list clicks on the link and signs up through that link, then I'll get a percentage of that sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, it is about figuring out which works best for yeah, the, your audience. Yeah, yeah exactly. Definitely. Like maybe for some other people, they might partner with like, there's a lot of the like mail delivery services, like purple carrot and, you know, those kind of things. Maybe they'll p- want to partner with that kind of company or maybe with like, you know, some kind of delivery service, you know, it could be anything. I know you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it could be anything really. But you just look at like what works best for your content and for your audience. So that's that's an interesting way to earn money as well because it's it's fairly passive. The moral of this segment, I guess, of this portion of the show is that it really does take multiple streams of income to really bring it all together. It's not usually just one thing for yeah. a lot of content creators. Yeah, absolutely. And another form of income that I've been doing this year is nowadays some of the social media platforms are working with influencers and they're giving you bonuses to create your own content. So right now I'm working with Pinterest, Facebook, and Instagram. I've been fortunate to be invited to their bonus programs. And so, yeah, and so they have different ways where if you meet certain incentives each month, then they'll give you a bonus. So See, it, it's not, it's I'm going like, to be invited to Pinterest yeah, because oh, yeah. Instagram, I feel like they got me. That, yeah. that was a joke. Yeah. I didn't Instagram like it. Instagram <laughs> is not, is very, is not very lucrative at all. It's very minimal amount of money. Oh so, my goodness. Yeah. Like I was expecting, they said, okay, $1,200 bonus. And I'm like, wow, yeah. all I have to do is create reels. And I should have known that it wasn't the best <laughs> for me because I wasn't even creating reels really. Right. And I was like, 
$100 was my payout at the end of yeah, it. And I think I here. posted like 10 reels. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I know. I think I earned $100. I'm like, whoo. But you know, it's, okay. it's all good because I went ahead and used that money to invest back into the business. So I was yeah. like, that's fine. Whatever. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, that's how I feel about too with the email marketing. You know, uh, like I, I use ConvertKit for my Me too. service provider. Yeah. And, you know, if you get a lot of subscribers on your list, it can be pricey. But I figure if you're earning these different streams of income from your email, then it's like pays for itself. Yeah. You know, and then some. So it's, it's completely worth it to me. Definitely. Well, there was so much content you gave us today, Amy. Thank you so much for being on the show. Before we wrap up, tell us how we can follow you on social media or, what, or your blog, because I think that's where you probably want us to go. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, <laughs> tell us how to connect with you outside of the show. Yeah. So my blog is Veggie Save the Day, and you can find it at veggiesavetheday.com. And I'm also on social media at Veggie Save the Day. So if you want to send me a DM, on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. And, you know, feel free to sign up for my email list. I share a lot of easy vegan recipes that are inspired by a Mediterranean diet. And I'd love to connect with you through email. Yes. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. We'll connect soon. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, Monique. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to make it easy for others to find us. Also, tell a friend. Be sure to share the episode on your Instagram stories and tag Brown Vegan. Thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you next week. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.